So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. What's the first movie you ever saw in theaters? For me, it was Jurassic Park, which in retrospect is a fantastic first cinema experience, if I do say so myself. But associate producer Noor Azria, she's from another generation. So producer Jordan Cornish and myself decided it was time to show her some culture. Maybe we should have introduced it as, like, the origin story to Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait. It's a prequel. <laughs> Wait, it's, a, it's the prequel. Yeah, this is, like, the original. And then those movies are, like, building on the world that these ones started. Got it. I thought it was, like, a remake. Uh, no, not so, a remake. This is the original, yeah. Okay. And then, I, I mean, I haven't seen Jurassic World, so I don't know. It's really good. I would recommend it, actually. Maybe we should watch it after this one, this horrible one. <laughs> You haven't seen it yet. How are you judging? I already know what I hate about it. And at first, Noor was not impressed. Like, at all. <laughs> that was something. I mean, like, That don't... transition was very old. Old-timey transition, the fading in, the fading out. The that word was... is classic, Noor. Ugh, you and your classic... And even one of the most famous scenes in cinema history, where you see the dinosaurs for the very first time, did absolutely nothing for this Gen Zer. Guys, guys, please. This looks so fake. Y'all should be ashamed. <laughs> Watching you be so unimpressed with this is like doing you. psychic damage to I me. I know. <laughs> but then we got to the T-Rex scene. The whole gang is stuck out in the park in the pouring rain, and the T-Rex sidles up to their car. Oh, fuck. That's fucking cool. That's actually cool. It's working. Yes! <laughs> it's, it's not working! I can yes. I can admit. <laughs> I'm so happy. Wait, no, this, this is, like, not... Like, this looks... Incredible. The happiest I've ever been about. Right. <laughs> so no, 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 no. I'll, I'll give it to you. Reaching some generational harmony through the power of Jurassic Park. <laughs> if anything were to do it, <laughs> it's the dinosaurs. I'm so ready for you to break my heart here, Nora. No, no, no. I, I'll admit. It looks good. Still prefer Chris Pratt, though. <laughs> it's unconscionable. I feel like I would compare this to... 
My Generation's Avatar, like when that came out, that was crazy. That was the first time we saw like CGI at that level. Like you're sitting there laughing at me and I want to kill you. (laughs) But I, I respect you because I feel like I also am grounded in my experience, like my eye opening Avatar experience. Absolutely. And look. Noor and I may never see eye to eye about Jurassic Park versus Jurassic World, but isn't that, after all, the magic of the movies? We don't all have to like the same things to get a great experience out of it, but don't you feel like going to a theater has just been a worse experience lately? It's getting more expensive. There's fewer choices than ever. You have to pay an extra buck fifty just to book a ticket online. Now, there's a lot of things to blame for this from the big studios to the streamers. But here in Canada, there's one other very unique obstacle in the way. A company so big, it dwarfs everyone else. Maybe the biggest monopoly we've covered this season. You know exactly who I'm talking about. More after the break. I think one of my earliest memories, not just movie-going memory, but pure memory, was my mother taking me to see Bambi. It made quite an impact. That's Barry Hertz, the film editor for The Globe and Mail. And though Bambi was a little traumatizing, Barry still fell in love with going to the movies. I remember lining up in what felt like a three-hour line that stretched around the mall in suburban Thornhill to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, and people like singing along to the Vanilla Ice song. I remember being so excited to see Independence Day with Will Smith. Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. Jurassic Park, I remember my parents taking me to and being terrified and thrilled at the same time. Welcome to Jurassic Park. If you're introduced to it with, with a movie of that caliber, which is, like I will say, I'll go to bed, like that's the platonic ideal of a blockbuster, then you're hooked for life. That's like starting an addiction on the strongest level possible. It's, it's wonderful. But it's not just the films themselves that he loves. It's the whole theater-going experience. You just don't get that sense of enjoyment and artistic fulfillment by watching something in your home environment. Even if you have the most impressive setup, your concentration is divided. You know you have that freedom to walk away. There is a commitment, a kind of implicit pledge that you take when you buy a movie ticket and you walk into a theater, you will more than likely not walk out. I think I have walked out maybe once in my life, and that was just purely because I couldn't take it anymore. It was Aquaman. It was the first Aquaman. And I love the kind of crazy parts where they got octopuses playing the drums and seahorses riding into battle. But just by the time that final battle came around, around the four-hour mark, it felt like I was like, you know what? I get it. I don't have to watch this. I can go. And then I went and I enjoyed the rest of my day. But going to the movies in Canada is a unique experience compared to just about anywhere else in the world. Because here, for most people, there's only one option. If you go to a movie theater, more than likely you are very familiar with Cineplex because they are the leading exhibitor, uh, the leading owner of movie theaters in this country. 
leading is an understatement. Cineplex has just under 75% of the Canadian movie market. To put that into perspective, the big five banks that we covered earlier this season, all together, they control about 80% of the Canadian market, not much more than Cineplex does alone. In fact, Cineplex is easily the most dominant company of any that we've covered on this season. It wasn't always the case. Listeners who are probably older enough to remember that there was once a company called Famous Players that had pretty much half and half, uh, almost, Cineplex, Odeon, and Famous Players um, in the exhibition landscape. There was also something that was based out a bit more east called the Empire Chain. So it didn't always used to be like this. But through a series of mergers and acquisitions and some U.S. interest in the market, it's kind of an up and down roller coaster, a little bit of a history. But what we have in the market right now is Cineplex as the leading exhibitor, and you'd have to go pretty far down the screen count to get to the second largest, which would be Landmark. And we're talking hundreds of screens fewer than what Cineplex has. In the United States, the UK, and Australia, no single theater chain has more than 30% of the market. But in lots of Canadian cities like Halifax, Cineplex is your only option. So for instance, if you're a studio or a distributor, if you want your film to be shown to Canadian audiences, you are going to have to deal with Cineplex. And for the audience, you know, if you're in a market like Toronto, if you want to go see a movie, and if, especially if it's one of the larger movies that you probably uh, do want to see on the big screen, then you are probably going to, again, be dealing with a Cineplex location. Okay, but so what? I don't think it's news to any movie-going Canadians that Cineplex is dominant. But the question that a lot of people in the movie industry are asking these days is how exactly does Cineplex use that dominance? Kareen Lee has been running the Rio Theatre in East Vancouver for the last 13 years. And the Rio does more than just show movies. We show movies, we show live shows, comedy, live music, Live Nation books, touring acts there. We also have burlesque, drag shows, poetry readings. We really do it all. I'm proud to be there because it's not slick, it's not downtown, it's got more of that sort of homey vibe. But despite the fact that the Rio is an independent theater and not part of any chain, Corrine says that it's not up to her what movies she can screen. Cineplex has complete control over what movies I'm allowed to screen at my theater. And if you ask Cineplex that question, they will deny it. Andy Willock is the managing director of three different cinemas, the Fox Theater in Toronto, Apollo Cinema in Kitchener, and the Bytown Cinema in Ottawa. And he says the same thing. Cineplex is very present in my daily life, we'll say. My weekly conversation with distributors is, is this still playing at Cineplex? And that's pretty much the main factor that decides if I can play a film on any given week at any theater that I currently own. Both Corrine and Andy are part of the network of independent Canadian exhibitors, a group of dozens of independent theaters across the country. Now, to understand why they believe that Cineplex controls the movies they can screen, you have to understand a little bit about the mechanics of the business. You can think about it as having three levels. First, you have the studios. These are the folks who actually make the movies. And these are companies you've definitely heard of, at least the biggest ones. Here's Barry Hertz again. 
So Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Sony, and Paramount. Those are the ones responsible for your Top Guns, your Wakandas Forevers, your James Bonds, your Fast and Furiouses, and your Minions. And then you have your film distributors. These are the middlemen, responsible for finding the right audience for a movie, marketing it, and getting it to screens. They're the ones who pay for the advertising and marketing, the posters, the trailers. They need to make awareness of these films so that they can make money at the box office when people go, and then, you know, X amount of the ticket goes back to them. The big five studios each have their own distribution arms in Canada, but there are also independent Canadian distributors. These are the ones who distribute films, basically everything else that the big five Hollywood studios don't handle. So those can range from independent American films that are picked up at festivals, stuff that is handled by more indie labels in the U.S. that don't exist here. So they handle independent American cinema, they handle foreign language cinema, and they also critically handle Canadian cinema. Ostensibly, it's up to these distributors to decide where and when a movie can play. The problem is that Cineplex has by far the most screens, and so it inevitably gets first crack at any movie that they want. And other theaters in the area aren't allowed to play those movies while Cineplex has them. So with the theaters that I operate, if a Cineplex or multiplex theater in our geographic zone or area is playing a film, then we are not permitted to play the film. And even in Toronto, if some of the downtown theaters are playing a film, we wouldn't be able to play a film in the East End, even though we're not really that close geographically. So essentially, we have to wait till the film finishes at the local multiplex theater, regardless of the number of shows they're playing, until we can play a film. If a movie is already playing at a different theater in a so-called zone, then the independents or smaller chains just can't play it. But there are problems with this system. For one... These zones are totally arbitrary and change without notice. Corrine says that back in 2008, when she took over the Rio, she had no problem playing movies that were also playing at the closest Cineplex theater, which is in Chinatown, an entirely different part of the city. So back then, I was allowed to play the same movies as them with no conflict. And the answer was simply was, we're in different zones. And then something happened over the years suddenly those zones disappeared. One day you would just say, okay, I want to book this film. And they'd say, oh no, you can't because Cineplex is playing there. And then you'd be like, no, no, we're, we're fine. We're, we're in our zone. Suddenly the zones disappeared. And if you asked why, they'd actually act like they didn't even know what you were talking about. They'd be like, what do you mean zones? Like suddenly the rules just disappeared. According to Andy, this phenomenon isn't just happening in big cities. There's a lot of independents who are located kind of in the downtown of college towns and of like mid-sized cities. And they used to have zones in those cities because there's a lot of smaller theaters that were concentrated there. And slowly the multiplex theaters are becoming more of like a big box kind of enterprise where they're outside of the city's core. And the independents downtown are still being forced to clear theaters that are 10 kilometers away sometimes even though they exist in a zone that used to be able to open films on release. And so, if there's a Cineplex anywhere, even remotely close to you, you have to wait until they're done with the movie in order to play it. Which, again, didn't used to be a huge problem. So you should be able to get a second-run film. It should open up to all the theaters wide within three weeks. 
that was the reasonable amount of time. When we wanted to play everything everywhere, we couldn't get it for six months. Same thing with Parasite. So these big Oscar award-winning films, our public cannot see them for six months after they've been released. And that's huge because that affects the public's choice of where they want to see a movie. It's forcing everyone to go to and have the corporate experience, even if they don't want to. There are times when films are streaming online. You can watch them on the airplane, but I can't play the film in my theater. That's just nuts. And Cineplex will keep movies on their screens, even if they're not selling seats. There's a whole network in our industry where you can look up and see what any cinema's box office sales are. So we can look it up and go, oh, what, what are they doing with this? And they say Top Gun. What's Top Gun doing at International Village? And we'll see, oh, they had three tickets yesterday. So they can have a week where maybe only three people are coming and they will still hold it. And the distributor will not let us show it where we could get hundreds of people out. I don't think that they're necessarily doing it intentionally to block us out, but they basically have a, a theater that's got 12 screens and they just need to have something in it. And I guess the big question is, why are they so threatened by the Rio having a screening? You know, when they've already squeezed every drop out of it, they've got three people showing up a day. What is it such a threat that they can't even let local indie theater get a little piece of it? But Cineplex has consistently said that all of this stuff has nothing to do with them. Here's what they told the CBC last year. Quote, Ultimately, it is up to film distributors where they play their movies. Corrine, though, she doesn't buy that explanation. It's very misleading. Like, yes, okay, distributors do make the decision. But who influences the distributors to make the decision? And we have been told directly from distributors when we're trying to get our hands on a movie, they'll say, you have to wait until Cineplex is done with it. Obviously, it's in the best interest of the distributor to have their film play in as many locations as possible, right? So that's always my argument. Whenever Cineplex tries to say, oh, it's just, I guess the distributors just don't like you. I guess that's why you're not getting the movie, right? You know, if we look at it from a just strictly a business point of view, clearly it would make more sense for the distributors to have their film in as many places as possible, reaching as many audiences as possible. The only entity that benefits from an exclusive agreement with Cineplex is Cineplex. And Andy says he's heard from film distributors that they feel the pressure from Cineplex. Generally, though, it seems like it's more just like a concern for future retaliation. So the way it's generally set up is like, if I open here, they will pull a run or I have a large customer in Cineplex and I need to service that customer, but that customer isn't, you know, a third of the Canadian market, it's 75%. So because of their hugely dominant position in the Canadian market, essentially distributors have to do what they say, right? So is any of this how it really works? We reached out to a number of Canadian film distributors, and we actually heard back from the head of one of those companies. Now, this person agreed to speak with us on the condition of anonymity. They worried that speaking out about Cineplex would have a serious impact on their business because Cineplex was by far their biggest customer. And here's what they told us. 
that Cineplex acts as an absolute monopoly. That Cineplex's claims that film distributors act independently is for all intents and purposes false. The distributor said that because of Cineplex's enormous market share, no independent film distribution company can afford to do anything that Cineplex might perceive as going against its interests. For instance, if a distributor has the rights to a foreign film that they offer to an independent theater, and if it does well, they might get an angry phone call from Cineplex demanding to know why the movie didn't first go to them. And if they make them angry enough, Cineplex can find ways to punish distributors. It's never explicitly framed that way, but a distribution company could find that their movies aren't getting enough screens at Cineplex theaters, or they'll show a film in a theater where it's unlikely to get the right audience, or they'll refuse to play trailers for their films before big releases. And this distributor was worried that the situation was about to get even worse, because Cineplex has been getting deeper into the distribution game themselves. In January, Cineplex Pictures, which is Cineplex's distribution arm, inked a deal with Lionsgate Pictures, the studio behind franchises like John Wick, Saw, The Hunger Games, and The Expendables, to be their exclusive distributor for 2023. Here's Barry Hertz again. So this gives Cineplex the advantage of being both distributor and exhibitor. So not only does this kind of set interesting precedent in the Canadian marketplace by potentially siphoning off businesses from the other Canadian independents, but you know, there's the question of how Cineplex might position these films inside their own theaters. Are they going to be getting preferential showtimes, better venues, better screens? What's the marketing going to be like inside a Cineplex movie? Will you see more advertisements for a Lionsgate Cineplex title than you would for another title from another company? And if this is a successful venture for Cineplex Pictures, are they going to be pursuing more output deals and potentially taking more business from the Canadian independence. It's a question of control, and it certainly is rattling a lot of nerves in the Canadian distribution scene. We asked Cineplex to comment on all of the issues discussed in this episode, but they did not respond to us by press time. Cineplex CEO Ellis Jacob told The Globe and Mail that no one has anything to worry about. Quote, At the end of the day, we make sure that we are completely independent when it comes to the distribution of any films. We are not the dominant exhibitor, we're one of the leading exhibitors, and from an overall perspective, there's no impact on the moviegoer. It's just more of the same, you know, and and whenever we read these articles, especially the quotes from Ellis Jacob really frustrate me because he just says like, oh, there should be no effect it's really like the the bully who's taking your lunch every day, telling everyone like, oh, there's no problem here. He's telling everyone that as a distributor, they're going to be fair when we already know they're not being fair. Now, I just want to take a step back and take this all in for a minute. Cineplex has three quarters of the cinema market outright. They're the only option in many places. There are strong indications that they're using their market share to push around their competition. They're now vertically integrating their industry. 
And just to top it all off, you now have to pay an extra buck fifty for every Cineplex ticket you buy online. A classic example of a junk fee. Now, in my opinion, all of this taken together makes Cineplex the best example of a classic monopoly that I've come across in this country. But another indication is the fear that people in the industry have about speaking out about Cineplex's power. There's definitely a fear because when you're being bullied by the people that you have to do business with, that's the scary thing, right? You're always in fear that if you piss them off, they can they can shut you down. Here's Sonia William, the director and co-founder of the Network of Independent Canadian Exhibitors. They're extremely well resourced. You know, they have a legal team. They have a lot more behind them than a bunch of independent cinemas who are legitimately struggling to survive right now. And part of what makes this conversation hard, and and I think part of what makes us really cautious answering questions like this too, is legitimately a bit of fear of Cineplex, this major player in the film exhibition world. And we don't have a legal team behind us, you know, saying what is kosher and what is not kosher. And that's part of what makes this so tough as well, because they're are all of these independent, small little cinemas who could not possibly really have this fight and so just kind of close down. Now, I can hear some of you in the back saying, sure, this all doesn't sound great for film distributors and independent theaters, but how does this affect me? And you have to start thinking about, like, if there's one company who books, like, the majority of the films and the majority of the grosses come from that company, they're dictating what films open in Canada. In other words, there's a tiny number of people at Cineplex who are determining what we can see. And the people ultimately making these decisions, they have a lot in common. For a long time, there were three of them. All three of them were white guys who wear glasses, and they're all named Rob. I'm honestly not kidding. Now, I haven't heard anyone say a negative word about these senior bookers who, again, are all literally white guys named Rob, But I think you can see the issue here. And if Cineplex is able to muscle out the other distribution companies and independent cinemas keep closing, there's going to be fewer and fewer people who decide what movies Canadians even have a chance to see in theaters. Here's Sonia again. I think people might hear this and understand cinemas a little lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs than like eggs or even internet access. But what we are and and what this industry represents is really Canada's ability to tell our own stories to ourselves, create some kind of, you know, connective narrative, despite living right next to an extremely dominant Hollywood. All these little venues that we're talking about, some of the most wonderful, beautiful cinemas in the world in Canada, what they do is they cultivate a local audience. They just, you know, straight up show more different movies and they create more meaningful engagement with those movies. And if these cinemas disappear, it's going to be extremely hard to bring them back. And so we have to think about, you know, what do we care about as a country? Where are we going to have these stories told and and shared? And how much do we care about that? We're talking so much about just preserving the cinemas and film exhibition spaces we have now. But the dream is more of them, (laughs) you know, more new people coming in, bringing the films that they love, the communities that they come from and having those spaces, you know, within your neighborhoods and cities. The network of independent Canadian exhibitors brought a complaint to the Competition Bureau last year regarding Cineplex, accusing them of abusing their dominance. But it went nowhere. Korean says that they're really not asking for much. 
all that I want, and this is what all that the indie theaters across Canada want, is reasonable access to films in a timely manner. That's all we're asking. I just want to be able to play current films within three weeks of their release. Seems like a reasonable request, right? The fact that we are not able in this, you know, free market, in this, you know, supposedly competitive capitalist market, the fact that I am locked out, blocked out of content for up to six months shows you that something's being abused. She says that independent theaters will keep up the fight. I often sort of compare it to, you know, like the Death Star and the rebel forces. So I feel like, you know, indie theaters are the rebel forces and we're not going anywhere. And we're always mobilizing and working together and figuring out with other independent filmmakers how to exist, you know, outside of the corporate dominance. So I'm optimistic that way. But at the same time, I don't like the idea that they can just get away with it. Maybe the strangest part of Cineplex's dominance is that back in the 1980s, it was the small fish begging the government to intervene against its bigger rivals. Cineplex successfully complained to the former anti-combines office that they were being denied fair access to films, exactly what their critics say that Cineplex does today. And back then, Cineplex won. But it is kind of funny that they learned this playbook and then they're reusing it against all the independents when they were in that position previously. And ultimately, you know, we do have problems with our competition law in Canada, obviously. But we have to make choices here. And I think the choice is, do we want to support neighborhoods? Do we want to support small towns? Or do we want to, you know, give our money to one company who isn't really thinking about everyone else who's involved in, in these other places? This is one of those weird Canadian things where it's like, isn't it weird that in Canadian cities, all the independent cinemas seem to show movies way after the marketing and publicity push has happened? And then you start to look at cinemas in Canada in this way, and it's not all of them. And you just realize something's a little bit different here. And this is just one of those cases because it's not a choice. It's just the way that the system is here. That's your episode of Commons. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. This episode relied on work done by Barry Hertz in The Globe and Mail, Maurice Ziedler and Joseph Pugh at CBC News, and many, many others. If you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at CommonsPod. You can also email me, arshi at canadaland.com. This episode was produced by me and Jordan Cornish with additional production by Noor Azria. Our managing editor is Annette Ejiofor, and our music is by Nathan Burley. You can listen to Commons ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. If you value this podcast, please support us. 
We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to all our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. And you'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.